you. Brought to you by BunnySlippers.com. Check out their brand new Dino Sound Slippers. Slippers make a roaring sound every three steps. Made with green scaly fabric, soft plush uppers, foam footbeds, non-slip grips on soles, and three white claws on each foot. One size fits most up to women's ten and a half, men's nine. Footbed measures ten and a half. Black Clock Audio Tales is a daily podcast that reads you a story, either a chapter of a novel or a whole short story. Join us in our exploration of old ghost stories, supernatural fiction, horror tales, folk tales, fantasy, gothic horror, weird fiction, and cosmic horror. And don't forget to join us for our monthly show about the Cthulhu Mythos. Look for our podcast near the old wishing well in the blasted heat, wherever you find your podcasts. We suggest Podbean or Apple Podcasts. Find us on the web at pgttcm.com and at Black Clock Audio on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and Black Clock Audio Tales on YouTube. Welcome to Black Clock Audio Tales. Check out our new website over at www.pgttcm.com. Edited by Daniel Spitzer. Music by Kevin McLeod. Welcome, Floor of Great Britain. Join us at the end of the month when we talk about the great old ones. Folklore and Legends English by Charles John Tibbetts. How the Cobbler Cheated the Devil. It chanced that once upon a time, long years ago, in the days when strange things used to happen in the world, and the devil himself used to sometimes walk about in a very barefaced fashion, to the distraction of all good and bad folk alike, he came to a very small town where he resolved to stay a while, to play some of his tricks. How it was, whether the people were better or were worse than he expected to find them, whether they would not give way to him, or whether they went beyond him and outwitted him, I don't know, so cannot say. But sure it is that a short while he became terribly angry with the folk, and at length was so disgusted that he threatened he would make them repent their treatment of him, for he would punish them in a manner which should show them his power. With that he flew off in a fury, and the folk, knowing with whom they had to deal, were very sad thinking what terrible thing would overtake them, and at their wit's end to imagine how they might manage to escape the claws of the evil one. Accordingly it was decided to call a meeting of the townsfolk, to which all, old and young, should come to deliver their opinion as to the best course to be pursued, only those too old to walk, the sick and the foolish, being not called to the council. Very many different courses were proposed, and while these were being debated, a man rushed into the hall where the council was being held, and informed them that their enemy was coming, for he had himself seen him making his way to the town, bearing on his shoulders a stone, almost big enough to bury the place under it, he reported that the devil was yet a long way off, for his load hampered him sadly, and he could not travel fast. What to do the councillors did not know, when suddenly there came amongst them a poor cobbler, with whom they had forgot to call to the meeting, for he was, indeed, looked upon as only half-witted. I will go and meet him, said he, and stop him coming here. You stop him, they all cried. It's mad that you must be thinking of it. I'll go all the same, said the cobbler without saying a word more, he goes out and begins to make ready for his journey. First of all, he collected together as many old boots and shoes as he could find, and when he'd got them all in a bundle, he finds out the man who had seen the devil coming on, and inquired of him the way he should go to meet him. The man told him the road, and the cobbler set out. He walked and walked and walked, till at last he came to the devil, who was sitting by the roadside resting himself and trying to get cool. 
for the day was warm and he was nearly worn out with carrying the big rock which lay beside him. Do you know such and such a place? he asks of the man, naming the town he would be at. I do indeed, says the man, for I ought to, seeing I have lived in its neighbourhood these many years and have only left there to travel here. And how many days have you been getting here? asked the devil anxiously, for he had hoped he was near the end of his journey. Oh, days and days, replies the man. See here, and opens his bundle of old boots that he had ready. See here, says he. These are the boots I've worn out on the held road in coming from the place here. Have you indeed, says the devil, looking at them amazed, little thinking that the man was lying as he showed him a pair after pair, all in holes and shreds. Well, indeed, it must be a long way off. And he looks around him, and then at the rock, and thinks what a terrible long way he has to bring it, and begins to doubt whether, after all, since he's still got so far to go, it's worth all the trouble. If it had been near, says he, it would have been a different thing, and I would have shown them what it is to treat me as they did. But as it's so far off, it's another matter, and I don't think it's worth the trouble. So he just takes up the rock and flings it aside in a field, and goes off back again. So the cobbler came home and told all the townsfolk what he had done, and how he had cheated the devil. And I can assure you that they all admired his cleverness, and the joke of tricking the devil as he had, nor did they allow him to lose in consequence of missing his day's work. The Tavistock Witch An old witch in days of yore lived in the neighbourhood of Tavistock, and whenever she wanted money she would assume the shape of a hare, and would send out her grandson to tell a certain huntsman who lived hard by that he'd seen a hare sitting at such a particular spot for which he always received the reward of sixpence. After this deception had been practised many times, the dogs turned out and the hare pursued. Often seen but never caught, a sportsman of the party began to suspect that the devil was in the dance, and there would be no end to it. The matter was discussed, a justice consulted, and a clergyman to boot, and it was thought that however clever the devil might be, law and church combined would be more than a match for him. It was therefore agreed that, as the boy was singularly regular in the hour at which he came to announce the sight of a hare, all should be in readiness for a start. The instant such information was given, and a neighbour of the witch, nothing friendly to her, promised to let the parties know directly that the old woman and her grandson left the cottage and went off together, the one to be hunted and the other to set out on the hunt. The news came, the hounds were unkennelled, and huntsmen and sportsmen set off with surprising speed. The witch, now a hare, and her little colleague in iniquity, did not expect so very speedy a turnout so that the game was pursued at a desperate rate, and the boy, forgetting himself in a moment of alarm, was heard to exclaim, Run, Granny, run! Run for your life! At last the pursuers lost the hare, and she once more got safe into the cottage by a little hole in the bottom of the door, but not large enough to admit a hound in chase. The huntsman and the squires, with their train, lent a hand to break open the door, but could not do it till the parson and the justice came up but as law and church were certainly designed to break through iniquity, even so they did now succeed in bursting like magic bonds that opposed them. Upstairs they all went. Then they found the old hag, bleeding and covered with wounds, and still out of breath. She denied she was a hare, and railed at the whole party. Call up the hounds, said the huntsman, and let us see what they take her to be. Maybe we may yet have another hunt. On hearing this, the old woman cried quarter, the boy dropped on his knees and begged hard for mercy. Mercy was granted on condition of its being received with a good whipping, and the huntsman, having long practised amongst the hounds, now tried his hands on their game. 
Thus the old woman escaped a worse fate for the time being. But on being afterwards put on trial for bewitching a young woman and making her spit pins, the above was given as evidence against her, and the old woman finished her days like a martyr at the stake. The Worm of Lambton The young heir of Lambton led a dissolute and evil course of life, equally regardless of the obligations of his high estate and the sacred duties of religion. According to his profane custom, he was fishing on a Sunday, and threw his line into the river to catch fish, at a time when all good men should have been engaged in the solemn observance of the day. After having toiled in vain for some time, he vented his disappointment at his ill success in curses loud and deep, to the great scandal of all who heard him on their way to holy mass, and to the manifest peril of his own soul. At length he felt something extraordinary tugging at his line, and in the hope of catching a large fish, he drew it up with the utmost skill and care, yet it required all his strength to bring the expected fish to land. What was his surprise and mortification when, instead of a fish, he found that he had only caught a worm of most unseemly and disgusting appearance? He hastily tore it from his hook and threw it into a well hard by. He again threw in his line and continued to fish, when a stranger of venerable appearance passing by asked him, What sport? To which he replied, I think I've caught the devil, and directed the inquirer to look into the well. The stranger saw the worm and remarked, that he had never seen the like of it before, that it was like an eft, but that it had nine holes on each side of its mouth, and tokened no good. The worm remained neglected in the well, but soon grew so large that it became necessary to seek another abode. It usually lay in the daytime coiled round a rock in the middle of the river, and at night frequented a neighboring hill, twining itself around the base, and it continued to increase in length until it could lap itself three times around the hill. It now became the terror of the neighborhood, devouring lambs, sucking the cow's milk, and committing every species of injury on the cattle of the affrighted peasantry. The immediate neighborhood was soon laid waste, and the worm, finding no further support on the north side of the river, crossed the stream towards Lambton Hall, where the old lord was then living in grief and sorrow, the young heir of Lambton having repented him of his former sins and gone to the wars in a far distant land. The terrified household assembled in council, and it was proposed by the steward, a man far advanced in years and of great experience, that the large trough which stood in the courtyard should be filled with milk. The monster approached, and, eagerly drinking the milk, returned, without inflicting further injury, to repose around its favorite hill. The worm returned the next morning, crossing the stream at the same hour, and directing its way to the hall. 
the quantity of milk to be provided was soon found to be the product of nine cows and if any portion short of this quantity was neglected or forgotten the worm showed the most violent signs of rage by lashing its tail around the trees in the park and tearing them up by the roots many a gallant knight of undoubted fame and prowess sought to slay this monster which was the terror of the whole countryside and it is related that in these mortal combats although the worm had been frequently cut asunder yet the several parts had immediately reunited and the valiant assailant never escaped without the loss of life or limb so that after many fruitless and fatal attempts to destroy the worm it remained at length in tranquil possession of its favorite hill all men fearing to encounter so deadly an enemy at length after seven long years the gallant heir of lambton returned from the wars of christendom and found the broad lands of his ancestors laid waste and desolate he heard the wailings of the people for their hearts were filled with terror and alarm he hastened to the hall of his ancestors and received the embraces of his aged father worn out with sorrow and grief both for the absence of his son whom he had considered dead and for the dreadful waste inflicted on his fair domain by the devastations of the worm he took no rest until he crossed the river to examine the worm as it lay coiled around the base of the hill and being a knight of tried valor and sound discretion and hearing the fate of all those who had fallen in the strife he consulted a sibyl on the best means to be pursued to slay the monster he was told that he himself had been the cause of all the misery which had been brought upon the country which increased his grief and strengthened his resolution he was also told that he must have his best suit of mail studded with spear blades and taking his stand on the rock in the middle of the river commend himself to providence and the might of his sword first making a solemn vow if successful to slay the first living thing he met or if he failed to do so the lords of lambton for nine generations would never die in their beds he made the solemn vow in the chapel of his forefathers and had his coat studded with the blades of the sharpest spears he took his stand on the rock in the middle of the river and unsheathing his trusty sword which had never failed him in time of need he commended himself to the will of providence at the accustomed hour the worm uncoiled its lengthened folds and leaving the hill took its usual course towards lambton hall and approached the rock where it sometimes reposed the knight nothing dismayed struck the monster on the head with all his might and main but without producing any other visible effect than irritating and vexing the worm which closing on the knight clasped its frightful coils around him and endeavored to strangle him in its poisonous embrace the knight was however provided against this dangerous extremity for the more closely he was pressed by the worm 
the more deadly were the wounds inflicted by his coat of spear blades until the river ran with gore. The strength of the worm diminished as its efforts increased to destroy the knight, who, seizing a favorable opportunity, made such a good use of his sword that he cut the monster in two. The severed part was immediately carried away by the current, and the worm, being thus unable to reunite itself, was, after a long and desperate conflict, destroyed by the gallantry and courage of the Knight of Lambton. The afflicted household were devoutly engaged in prayer during the combat, but on the fortunate issue the knight, according to promise, blew a blast on his bugle to assure his father of his safety, and that he might let loose his favorite hound, which was destined to be the sacrifice. The aged father, forgetting everything but his parental feelings, rushed forward to embrace his son. When the knight beheld his father, he was overwhelmed with grief. He could not raise his arm against his parent, but, hoping that his vow might be accomplished, and the curse averted by destroying the next living thing he met, he blew another blast on his bugle. His favorite hound broke loose and bounded to receive his caresses when the gallant knight, with grief and reluctance, once more drew his sword, still reeking with the gore of the monster, and plunged it into the heart of his faithful companion. But, in vain, the prediction was fulfilled, and the sibyl's curse pressed heavily on the house of Lambton for nine generations. Recording by Linda Johnson Brought to you by BunnySlippers.com. Check out their brand new Dino Sound Slippers. Slippers make a roaring sound every three steps. Made with green scaly fabric, soft plush uppers, foam footbeds, non-slip grips on soles, and three white claws on each foot. One size fits most up to women's ten and a half, men's nine. Footbed measures ten and a half. Black Clock Audio Tales is a daily podcast that reads a story, either a chapter of a novel or a whole short story. Join us in our exploration of old ghost stories, supernatural fiction, horror tales, folk tales, fantasy, gothic horror, weird fiction, and cosmic horror. And don't forget to join us for our monthly show about the Cthulhu mythos. Look for our podcast near the old wishing well in the Blasted Heath, wherever you find your podcasts. We should just Podbean or Apple Podcasts. Find us on the web at pgttcm.com and at Black. Clock Audio on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and Black Clock Audio Tales on YouTube. Welcome to Black Clock Audio Tales. Check out our new website over at www.pgttcm.com. Edited by Daniel Spitzer. Music by Kevin McLeod. Welcome, Glore of Great Britain. Join us at the end of the month when we talk about the great old one.